Hey guys, Sean Hayes here. Jason Bateman, Will Arnett, and I had a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to sit down with not one, not two, but three presidents of the United States on our recent episode of Smartless. That's because President Biden, a returning guest, brought two of his favorite pals, former Presidents Bill Clinton and Barack Obama, all joined us for unforgettable conversation. It's a historic episode of Smartless as we pry into the minds of these remarkable leaders. We'll cover everything from their time in office, America's responsibilities in the world, and their personal passions in an episode full of some candid stories, insightful perspectives, and a few surprises along the way. Whether you're a political junkie or just curious about the inner workings of the Oval Office, this episode is a must listen. Don't miss out on this incredible opportunity to hear from three of the most influential figures in recent American history. Follow Smartless on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also listen to Smartless ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. 1.85 million times a month, somebody searches for an abortion procurement term. So that to us was an enormous mission field. And we began to test different ways of using both paid and unpaid marketing to reach those women and invite them to come into a pregnancy center. And the test worked. That's 10 years ago now. But the test did show that we could, in fact, get our message in front of those women who are abortion seekers and bring them into a system of care. In other words... So you be stalking and lying to bitches? (laughs) (laughs) Fraudsters, fake abortion clinics, part three, let's go. Welcome back to Fraudsters, everybody. I'm Cena Gazzano, at Cena now on all social media. Justin Williams is here at Justin underscore Williams underscore comedy. And the great Ariel Lieti is with us at Ariel Lieti on social media. Welcome, both of you, back to the show. Thank you, thank you. Yes, yes, this is So good. we didn't get canceled. <laughs> yeah. We didn't get canceled. This is a fantastic thing. This is like all those... Uh, all those jokes about Chris Tucker and Rush Hour and abortion. I'm pro-choice, man! How <laughs> <laughs> about her choice? Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? That was in the third one. That's the that's the part they don't talk I, about. That almost felt like Fifth Element, Chris Tucker. Yeah. <laughs> are you pro-life, man? <laughs> Well, no one was too upset with us. I think we we laid some good groundwork for this part, too. But the reason I think we went through all of that was because it's important to tell our listeners here how we got to where we are today. How do we got to where reproductive rights in America are more strict than the Taliban? Because too often, I think when we see something in the news, we think like, oh, this is when this thing happens. This is like the start of this thing. But in reality, we know from last episode that this guy, Robert Pearson, started the first crisis pregnancy center in the late 60s. So this battle has been happening for half a century, more. That's a half a century of organizing, a half a century of fundraising, a half a century of greasing the wheels of Congress to now getting public funding to the tune of millions upon millions of dollars across the country, plus all the private donations they get. So it's great being a podcast, honestly. We can take our time. 
We can tell you about the people that are creating the laws and the environment where these CPCs are flourishing, where they're enabling nonprofits to lie to women legally. Texas, for example, which has SB8, their heartbeat law, they also just last year added $100 million in crisis pregnancy center funding. <laughs> so think about it. You pass a heartbeat <laughs> law and you're like, also, like, since abortions are going to be, you know, you know, since abortions are going to be illegal, we should get these CPCs going. And these are just pro-life hubs of propaganda. Texas is always very famous for funding public facilities. I love it. I love it how they, it just, you know, the idea of small government just completely changes when it comes to funneling money to religious fundamentalists that are going to back your campaigns. I mean, they would make churches as, as powerful as Walmart if they could. Yeah. And you would just go in there every day, low prices, get your crucifixes for cheap. I don't know. Maybe that's too Catholic. Big shout out to Joel but, Olstein down in Houston. Yeah. Uh, uh, uh. Really doing the Lord's work, giving back to the people. Yeah. Himself. So we had our researcher, Demetrius, a uh, wonderful, wonderful man from my alma mater, New York Law School. We had him go through and pick out some people that were sponsors or authors of Texas's SB8 bill. And this should give you an idea of the kind of person that exists across the entire country. Because there's Texas is just one state. We've got all kinds of copycat laws springing up across the country. But to focus on Texas a little bit, let's look at some of these people that made this heartbeat law happen. First up is a guy I like to call the proto-snake oil salesman. He's the author of the law banning abortions in Texas, Senate SB 8, was particularly meaningful to him because the, quote, pro-life movement has really, really motivated my political involvement from the beginning. And here's the thing about Hughes, guys. He's an aw shucks kind of guy. He's not one of those, like, crazy zealot, you know, kind of dudes that scream and speak it in tongues and stuff like that. This is Senator Brian Hughes responding uh, about President Joe Biden saying that he wants to do a federal, uh, you know, law that supports reproductive rights for women and speaking specifically to this heartbeat law. And Brian Hughes is reacting to uh, President Joe Biden here. Uh, this motivates so many people in politics. As a young man, as a young student, when I first learned uh, what abortion was and the little baby inside her mother's womb and what, what happens to the <laughs> baby. baby. It was shocking to me. And so it motivated me. To yeah, get let's in stop there for a second. Like this is who conned baby. him in the beginning. He got shook in the beginning, like so at a young age. They showed him that poster where it was just like his him as like a ten year old inside a mother's womb. Like at inception, you are like a ten year old kid. I mean, yeah. how does this? Well, I don't even know. You know, I don't know his political program, so I don't want to presume. But I, but one thing I like about the pro life movement is the sort of absolutist uh, rhetoric about the sanctity of life that only applies to the unborn. So it's just like yeah. I bet you, if you ask this guy literally about refugees that exists in the world, like even child refugees, he'd probably be like, you know, we should throw them to the crocodiles. <laughs> or like, or, or like, or like, sweet little Texas baby. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, let's go back. Involved to volunteer for campaigns and so many people, yes, on both sides in politics are motivated by this. And so uh, during my time in the Texas House and the Texas Senate, I've worked on pro-life laws. Coming into this legislative session, 
We saw those district attorneys say they would not enforce the law. Mm -hmm. We saw other states passing heartbeat laws that were being blocked by federal courts. And we wanted to find a way to have a heartbeat law that would take effect, that would immediately save little babies' lives. And so we had a lot of help from some very sharp lawyers on our Senate team, as well as outside the Capitol, uh, scholars, law professors who scoured Supreme Court opinions and looked for a way to do this. And so we're very thankful that all the pieces came together uh, and this law is taken effect. Look at that. Again, organized, motivated. Yeah. Yeah. They get everyone involved. Everyone's on board. They're using every resource possible. I mean, you know, it's like, it's fucking give me a break. Like, how can we not fight against this? Liberals should take notes. Yeah, take notes. Caring about statewide elections, <laughs> not just <laughs> big, like presidential one. He's so careful to say little babies. He said that multiple times, like so careful to not say fetus or like cells or anything uh, real. He's just say little babies, yeah. just getting your heartstrings. Oh, little babies, little Texas babies. Little babies, you know, they, I, I saw one little baby in his mother's womb. He had a baseball mitt and he was <laughs> playing catch with his daddy. You can't kill that baby. You can't kill that baby. It's fully formed. Oh, yeah. It's fully formed. <laughs> running around. Oh, that smile is how he is in the Texas Senate. He got Haunting. he's got friends across the aisle, though. Senator Carol Alvarado of Houston, chair of the Senate Democratic Caucus there, said it's always easier to take on somebody and challenge somebody that's an a-hole, right? Which is so infuriating that she's literally saying she can't fight as hard on this issue against him because he's not an asshole. Well, it's too nice. Well, maybe despite having the opinions on reproduction that are from like the 1400s, something like that, he's like actually like super nice and collegial. You know, the, the bar is set so low now that if, as long as you're not like a partisan bomb thrower on every issue, like Marjorie Taylor Greene, you're basically a hero now. Like if yeah. you, if you oh, say, I if could you, get along with him. Yeah, if you say hi to a Democrat as a Republican, like uh, we should, we're all like thanking you now. Like, if you think January so, 6th was bad, now you are Mitt Romney to us. I heard that the guy from January 6th, the guy that was all uh, dressed up, I heard that he was super nice. So I kind of yeah. forgive him. <laughs> <laughs> I forgive him. Shit's different now. I don't know. He's a nice guy. He's in prison. He wants to eat vegan. Come on. He doesn't want to hurt animals. I know. He's so sweet, though. But this this goes on, though. She says they have a, a great working relationship and that Hughes and her are very cordial to each other. She obviously disagrees with him on much of his policy, that he's either authored or champion. But here's a moment that I found super interesting between them. And it's again, it strikes me as strange that in our political system, like the cordialness that people have, to your point, Justin, as long as you're not a bomb thrower, they you're just like polite. But even on the floor of like the Senate or any kind of like across the state, uh, any state or the federal government, they're all like, my gentle colleague from South Carolina. And they're, they're all like the decorum stuff really rubs me the wrong way when inherently you're talking about, uh, I would love my gentle colleague to repeal the Jim Crow laws, but I understand his position. <laughs> it's like, give me, give me a fucking break. <laughs> so uh, Senator Alvarado got up and filibustered in the Texas Senate for uh, an elections bill. And she ended up doing a 15-hour filibuster. Hell yeah. But before she got up and said that, she said, Senator Hughes, you're always so kind in debate, and I'm going to do you a favor. I'm going to give you a break. I'm going to talk for a while so you can maybe enjoy a dinner. And then Hughes, she basically called Hughes a gentleman. And then afterwards, 
Hughes came up to her and shook her hand and said, thank you. And you know why he shook her hand? Because the fucking bill sailed through the Senate. The filibuster didn't work. And so, of course, he's going to come up and give you a smile and say, good job, kiddo. Oh, you, you gave it all you could. These fucking people. Kindness is and king. Then, yeah. Just be kind. You could get away with anything. I like I like the decorum. I like the decorum of the Senate. I'm against that. I like the decorum in the Senate. I like it that when, you know, Ted Kennedy was an alcoholic, He's an alcoholic liberal from Massachusetts, and his best friend was Orrin Hatch, a Mormon <laughs> conservative from Utah. I like I like a good buddy cop movie. Rush Hour, but two. they were actually friends. But it's like I, you know, like. <laughs> well, I, I like it. There's this there's this Mexican woman Democrat and this like white male conservative, and she's like, you know what, honey, you go get something to eat while I talk. Yeah, and he's like, Rush Hour thank Three. You, th- thank you, madam. That is fundamentally flawed. Don't you have no abortion now? So, yeah, but look, so in July of this year, Texas Monthly a magazine named him one of the worst legislatures. So <laughs> to describe him, they described him by quoting Hamlet. All right. And so is, instead of me telling doing the performance of Hamlet, I found David Tennant. You guys all know David Tennant, you know. Doctor Who and all these other things that he's done. He's incredible. Oh, he yes. delivers this line. Oh. Um, and here's David Tennant doing the line from Hamlet that they use to describe Senator Greg Hughes. Oh, villain. Villain. Smiling, damned villain. My tables meet it is. I set it down that one may smile and smile and be a villain. At least, I'm sure it may be so in Denmark. <laughs> One may smile and smile and be a villain. I mean, that's what we're talking about here. I mean, this is this is the thing. He is a villain, but he does it with a smile. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, you know, the OJ said this. They said they'll smile in your face, but all the time uh, they're giving take, they take your place. They're, they're backstabbers. backstabbers. Yeah, backstabbers. <laughs> All right, the next one we have there here is uh, what I like to call the I don't see color white savior. (laughs) Senator Donna Campbell is a medical doctor. All right, medical doctor, finally. Mm -hmm. Uh, Board certified in emergency medicine. And this is in her bio that I wanted to read uh, because there's a great hit at the end here. Senator Campbell completed her master's of nursing from Texas Women's University and received her MD from Texas Tech University, where she is a member of Alpha Omega Alpha, the Honor Society for Medical Schools. She completed her residency at the University of Texas Health Science Center in Houston and was awarded the prestigious Morton Award as an outstanding resident in ophthalmology. A proud woman of faith, Senator Campbell has volunteered with Christian Eye Ministries and performed hundreds of eye surgeries in the West African nation of Ghana. In her spare time, she enjoys hiking, jogging, and watching Touched by an Angel with her youngest daughter, Anna. (laughs) Now, the fact that her African community service came right before her, like, Touched by an Angel. (laughs) She's not racist. (laughs) How could I be racist at a time like this? I love Touched by an Angel. So is Africa and oh. Della Reese. Oh, my God. <laughs> Those are two black people. Yeah. All of yes. Africa and Della Reese. And Della Reese. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
She loves Della Reese. She's never seen Harlem Nights, though. <laughs> <laughs> Refuses to watch Rush Hour. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to just keep oh bringing you back God. to Rush Hour, you guys. <laughs> yeah, this is great. I know, absolutely. <laughs> oh, Lordy. All right, so that, that was just a quick one on Donna Kale. I just, I couldn't get over it. I love when people just start, try to use their kind of like engagement with some sort of community service project as like, oh, a great little resume builder. And then you talk about hiking and your TV watching. All right, yeah. this next one I call The Runaway Bride. Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton fled his home to avoid being served a subpoena where he was going to be sued by a group of nonprofits that wanted to help Texans pay for abortions out of state. So when a process server comes to your house, all right, and they give you legal documents, they have to sign a sworn affidavit on how it all went down. What were the circumstances? How did you get notice? What are the legal documents that, hey, you're going to be sued? And did they receive it? Ernesto Martin Herrera was the process server, and he went to Paxton's home in McKinney, Texas on Monday morning, and he told a woman who identified herself as Angela that he was trying to deliver legal documents to the attorney general. She told him Paxton was on the phone and unable to come to the door. Herrera said he would wait. Nearly an hour later, a black Chevrolet Tahoe pulled into the driveway, and 20 minutes after that, Ken Paxton exited his house. Okay, so this is from the affidavit. I walked up the driveway approaching Mr. Paxton and called him by his name. As soon as he saw me and heard me call his name out, he turned around and ran back inside the house through the same door in the garage. Angela Paxton exited the house, got inside the Chevrolet truck in the driveway and started and then opened one of the car doors. Okay, so here's from Ernesto again. A few minutes later, I saw Mr. Paxton run from the door inside the garage towards the rear door behind the driver's side. I approached the truck loudly and called him by his name and stated that I had court documents for Mr. Paxson. He ignored me and kept heading for the truck. Eventually placed the subpoena on the ground near the truck and told him he was served with the subpoena. This is the best. There was this is the best Chevy ad ever. <laughs> I know. Like I want rock. a black Chevrolet. <laughs> like a rock. Avoid a subpoena. <laughs> when you're walking away from a subpoena, you need to be Texas tough. That's like a Chevy rock. with its dual dually cab system. What I love is after this was published, Paxton filed uh, in court to have the affidavit of this, this process server sealed, but it was already all over the internet. So the court was like, yeah, you could seal it, but it's like already done. It's already out there. <laughs> oh my God. And like your wife is the getaway driver. Also, is it Texas a stand your ground state? Shouldn't you, shouldn't he have like shot the man? Oh yeah, it's totally legal. Murder is legal down there. <laughs> Straight up. Yeah. He said on Twitter that this was the media drumming up a controversy and that he was concerned about the safety of his family with a stranger lingering around his home. Again, you should have shot the guy. I thought you were fucking yeah. tough guy, Texas. Yeah. yeah, he didn't believe he was a stranger because, yeah, he would have killed him. Yeah. Because this guy is probably yeah, carrying, yeah. too. Exactly. So, cherry on top, guys. Paxton has been under indictment for securities fraud for seven years <laughs> and faces a whistleblower lawsuit from former top deputies. He accused him of abuse of office. Paxton has obviously denied any wrongdoing. Oh, my God. Has he just been running Ooh, away from it. that? 
Has he just been running <laughs> away from basically. that guy too? That's trying to serve him for that. <laughs> he was like, I don't know what this right. is for, but I'm getting out of here. <laughs> okay, now that we have some idea of the people that enabled the environment for crisis pregnancy centers to exist in Texas, by the way, again, $100 million directed towards these types of places, all public dollars, your tax dollars, Texans. But what happens when you go inside of a crisis pregnancy center? Ariel, you you never actually been in one of these places, right? Not a, I didn't know they existed till this show, Cena. You don't, yeah. I've been into an abortion clinic. They're uh, pretty sterile, you know, but I have not been to a crisis pregnancy center. That sounds crazy. As a medical facility should be. Sterile is a good way to describe it. Sterile, but also kind of like uh, the girls that you would see at a dentist's office. Like the girls that do the the cleaning. cleaning? That's who works at an abortion clinic. (laughs) I need you to understand. Yeah, that's that's the energy. (laughs) They're wearing scrubs. They're half on, half off. They're like, okay, what do you need today? What? It's very very much that vibe. Well, the one I went to anyways. Okay. So I guess you feel at home. (laughs) <laughs> it's Janine from Ghostbusters checks you in. The They're like, what you want a cleaning today? Okay, we got you. <laughs> oh, we're going to clean you out. All right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Max Carwile is the program's director for Abortion Access Front. She actually went into a crisis pregnancy center, not because she was pregnant, but because she wanted a pregnancy test and she wanted to get an STI test. And she thought, hey, this might be a useful place. What ended up happening launched her career into fighting for reproductive justice. Yeah, absolutely. So I am the programs director at Abortion Access Front, which means part of my role is managing our national campaign called Expose Fake Clinics. That is all about this, exposing how they are fake, not actual clinics, and what the actual danger is there. Because I feel like people, even once they learn about crisis pregnancy centers, they have this idea of like, oh, it's just some nice old ladies who want to say some comforting things to you, talk about your options, when it's like, oh, no, this is a dark, insidious data collection scam. So even when I first found out about them, uh, back when I was like 18 or 19 in college, I was like, okay, so these places are anti-abortion, but they still want to help. Like, I still want to make sure my fellow college students know where they could get free pregnancy testing, free STI testing. And there was one right next to our campus that was advertising that. So I was like, oh, I should go and check it out. And I'm like, I haven't been tested in a while. This will this will be good. It'll be a resource I can tell people about. Yeah, it's just like Planned Parenthood, this right? Sounds great. Uh, yeah. I love this because I went to college in Johnson City, Tennessee, middle oh, of nowhere in fantastic. the mountains. So there was no Planned Parenthood or anything like that. So I was like, oh, this is like the equivalent. And I go there and I, of course, assumed it was an actual medical facility with actual doctors just because people were wearing white coats, which I now know you could just buy online. Turns out anyone could wear a white coat. I have two of them. Yeah. As you should. We should all just pretend to be doctors at all times. I mean, as you guys know, I do not have a PhD, so I do not belong in that white coat at all. Yeah, it's fun. Who doesn't love dress up? Um, (laughs) So I went in and I was like, yeah, I would love a free pregnancy test, free STI testing. And they were like, great, you have to fill out this paperwork first. On top of the Bible. Right. (laughs) Yeah. A a lot of paperwork, like a lot more than any other doctor's office I've ever been to. And it was 
a bunch of quizzes. There was a sex ed quiz testing my knowledge uh, full of things like true or false. Condoms will always protect you Whoa. and have your back. And I'm like, condoms have your back. I don't know yeah. what that means. Yeah. Um, okay. I thought they were meant to blow a back yeah. out. I don't know. <laughs> I think that's different. <laughs> yeah. I was like, yeah. true, I guess condoms are good. I'm pretty sure condoms are a good thing. Turns out the answer was false. Oh. Um, but there was also questionnaires <laughs> like, there's like, a right and wrong answer to that. <laughs> yeah. I certainly didn't, but they were very clear with me. That there were right and wrong answers, <laughs> as well as the things like, at what age oh, did you start having oh sex? God. What positions no do you way. have sex in? What radio shows do you listen to? Just like, yeah, thrown it in a fun variety, which I was like, I started having sex when I was 17, and they were like, the horror, that age. Are you okay? Do you wow. regret that? And I was like, no, I do not. I'm having a great time as a 19 year old now or however oh. old I was. And they were like, why do you not regret that? Wow. Wait. It was a super fun two hours of my life. I'm never going to get back. Because after you fill out the paperwork, they go through all of your answers with you before you can get any services. Uh, so they were like, the radio shows you listen to, you didn't put anything faith-based why why is that <laughs> the radio shows you this is too. incredible <laughs> yeah like i don't know how to answer it's like somebody had been like why are you not currently in this moment in atlanta yes. i mean like, i would ask someone like hey if they were like they wrote on like a you know like a form like i listen to the joe rogan podcast they'd be like why do you listen to the joe rogan <laughs> podcast why aren't you listening to something faith-based at this point because <laughs> You should be listening. Move to closer Jesus to the Christ. light. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was all around bizarre. Um, and they asked if I wanted to watch some of their videos. And I had known they were anti-abortion. I knew that going in. I knew they were faith-based, but I still thought they offered help. And I was like, I just won't tell them that I had an abortion when I was 17 and it'll be fine. I'll still appear to be like a good person they want to help. And it turns out there is no way that was ever going to happen based on any part of my existence. Um, but eventually they were like, oh, yeah, we we looked at your urine and you're you're fine. You're good for now. I don't know how you've been so lucky with your one romantic partner and your bisexuality. So you, you got to swear that you're never going to use condoms or trust birth control again. <laughs> Sorry, just, wow. to, just to be clear. On the forms, did they have you say that you were bisexual? Was that like a thing you had to write oh, down? Oh, yes. They, every possible demographic they want to know. And so you fill out all these forms. Did you ever, while you were filling the forms out, think, I'm giving away private information that won't be held private? Yes. So that was the weird thing is even in that moment, I felt like maybe I shouldn't trust these people because after like all of those questions was finally a page where it asked for my social security number. And oh. I was like, uh. I don't think these things go together actually. So I said wow. to them, I actually don't want to give you that. I will tell you every detail of every sex I have ever had, but I don't want to give you my social security number. And they were like, we will not help you or test you or tell you your results until you give us your social security number. And as a 19-year-old, I was like, that's a reasonable thing to say to me. Okay, here you go. Wow. They got these white lab coats on. Damn. They've got a stern Ooh. demeanor with it me. Okay. Like, it sounds like a timeshare seminar. Like, you're like, if I just sit through this bullshit, at some point, you guys will give me help. Oh, yeah. It felt very, like, yeah. multi-level marketing. Also, because of all these posters yeah. in the bathroom that were like, 
if you've had sex with 12 people, you've actually had sex with 144 with like a whole pyramid diagram. <laughs> oh, man. That I, I wish. Oh, <laughs> yeah, same. Jeez. Hey. Wait, so I, I've been inflating my numbers. Not okay. nearly enough then. Yeah. Cook in the books. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm Wilt Chamberlain. Yeah. <laughs> so... And then I just want to also confirm, you were going in just for some basic testing. You were kind of an engaged person in this space, and you just wanted to see it, like how safe and how good it was. You weren't going there with some sort of critical health need or anything. Yeah, like I can't imagine if I would have gone even two years previously when I was in the position of needing to figure out where I could get an abortion. I can't imagine. I went in with as much information as anyone who goes there would have had, and I still felt disgusted and shamed and embarrassed and afraid because later I thought about it some more and looked into it and wow. eventually realized there were no medical providers there. And it hit me. Yeah. How do I know they actually tested my pee? Like I have no reason to believe they actually, I have any reason to believe that I'm not pregnant or that I don't have any STIs or anything like that. So this is a regular experience that people go there and they don't understand these things. Like I, I honestly can't remember the last time I was having a conversation with a group of women and the subject came up and there wow. weren't at least one or two women who said, Oh, I've been to one of those places. It's a very regular occurrence. And none of us know we're being lied to our information stolen, shared across the country, anything like that. The position thing is is an incredibly I mean, all of this isn't creepy, but that like that is like yeah. that's super, super creepy. And then also it it makes me think that there's somebody just collecting pee. Yes, too. I was just yeah. going to say that. Like, who tests it? Like, is there a priest drinking the pee? And he's like, ah, that tastes like she might be pregnant. Like, what is yeah. this? <laughs> what is going on? No idea. Rampant speculation is the only logical outcome. <laughs> yes, speculation. That's all I got. So is this, Max, is this what activated you to join uh, and to be really involved in the reproductive health kind of space? Absolutely. Like I was already pretty pro-abortion based on my own experience, but this realizing that there are businesses set up just to lie to people and make them feel like garbage was like, oh, okay. I have an enemy now. I have a mortal enemy I must defeat. And that was now like 10 plus years ago and they've only gotten bigger and more popular. And now that row has fallen, it's not like the amount of crisis pregnancy centers has decreased. If anything, it's only increasing. They've been stating in their annual reports that organizations like Heartbeat International, their goal is to keep spreading because none of this is even about abortion. This is about power. This is about control. And this is about what can they get away with? What scams can they profit from as well? I was going to ask how the, this place makes money. Because they're, if they're not providing abortions and they have no doctors or anything like that, and they have a whole staff, and you're just going there and really getting pamphlets and a good talking to, how are you making money? So part of it is really low overhead. They don't typically have a whole staff. A lot of these places are pretty volunteer run, or maybe they have one staff person. Or sometimes a fun new trend is they'll pay like a monthly stipend to somebody who is technically a doctor. So they can say, of course, we have a doctor on staff. Um, so low overhead, as well as area churches donating space to them, putting in costs. I know they also do a lot of 
fundraisers that the churches will put on for them. In addition to a lot of them, and I think it's like 34 states get taxpayer funding. Like those Choose Life license plates, they go to crisis pregnancy centers to keep them operating. They get far more taxpayer funding than any abortion clinic. Um, And those PPP loans with the whole pandemic, Heartbeat International, they were seeking one million there. Like <laughs> they are still nonprofits. They're still eligible for grants and funding. And again, they get it and we don't. So <laughs> fucking monster. I'm so stressed out. Yeah, man. I can't. <laughs> Welcome. Are you it's watching so me be stressed in real time? I'm like, this this sounds bad, but it's not too bad. And then all of a sudden my mind blown. Oh I yeah, it's it actually worse. I haven't it's, even Yeah, I know. This is, I know this is the tip of the iceberg and I'm just hurting. It's right it's now. just like it's like stories like this, it's just like the United what like if categories can be real, like when we talk about like a first world country, it's just like the United States yeah. is like a hybrid country. It is not like uh like like a developed yeah. country does not do any of the things that was just described right there. This is like yeah. some kind of <laughs> crazy quasi theocracy thing that we've got going. Some Gotham I mean, City shit. Some... I mean, we learned that, like, the you know, the Taliban doesn't have this extreme of reproductive rules, reproductive health rules. So, I mean, you know, they have a lot, a lot more other They're not, like, making up illnesses, like, post-abortion yeah. stress disorder or whatever and telling people that they have it and, they, like, forcing people to be depressed. Like, that's a pretty unique circumstance. Wow. So, yeah, let's, let's follow that thread, though, through. What are some of the dangers that are involved with people going into these crisis pregnancy centers and also, like, culturally— what are the dangers uh, that are being spread? Yeah, I mean, first, there's the very obvious, like, you won't get the care that you need. A lot of uh, these centers, one of their biggest tactics is that they will actually um, give you an ultrasound or a pregnancy test so that they can either lie and say you're not pregnant or say you're pregnant, but you're two weeks along. And then it turns out maybe the person is actually pregnant. Maybe they are actually like 12 weeks along. You don't know because the whole point is then you don't seek care. You think you have time or you think you aren't pregnant and then you can't get care because there's a 15 week limit in your state or you didn't know you were going to have to travel to another state that has a six week waiting list or wait four weeks for pills to arrive in the mail. A huge part of their goal is actively keeping people from getting abortion care. So lying about pregnancy, that is a big danger. Another is, again, what they do with your information. Um, One tactic that I haven't seen a whole lot, but a few of them do, is once, oh, it makes me so mad. It's very hard to talk about. This one is so insidious of like, people don't look at the paperwork they fill out when they go to a doctor's office. So sometimes they'll have paperwork that's like, By signing below, I attest that I have no interest in ever obtaining an abortion. If I appear at an abortion clinic, it is because I am being forced by a man. If you provide me with an abortion, you will be prosecuted. And they take that and they fax it to every abortion clinic they can. And that is another way of stopping people from obtaining an abortion. What? The third big danger... If y'all are ready to keep going, keep going. going. This is like the this is like a good old fashioned waterboarding. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. This this is my life. This is why I laugh and about it all the time. I don't know any other way to exist. Hey guys, Sean Hayes here. Jason Bateman, Will Arnett, and I had a once in a lifetime opportunity to sit down with not one, not two 
but three presidents of the United States on our recent episode of Smartless. That's because President Biden, a returning guest, brought two of his favorite pals, former Presidents Bill Clinton and Barack Obama, all joined us for unforgettable conversation. It's a historic episode of Smartless as we pry into the minds of these remarkable leaders. We'll cover everything from their time in office, America's responsibilities in the world, and their personal passions in an episode full of some candid stories, insightful perspectives, and a few surprises along the way. Whether you're a political junkie or just curious about the inner workings of the Oval Office, this episode is a must listen. Don't miss out on this incredible opportunity to hear from three of the most influential figures in recent American history. Follow Smartless on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also listen to Smartless ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Sofas, recliners, love seats, everything is better in leather. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley where bold meets durable. And wait a minute, who's been finger painting on the couch again? That's okay. Leather is easy to clean. The new leather collection at Ashley is built with the durability you need for the whole family. Yes, pets too. Luxury is meant to be livable. Shop chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. We'll get back to Max in a bit, but Max mentioned something about Google and Yelp and how these organizations are using data and geotargeting and ads and stuff like that. So I wanted to bring up this guy, Brian Fisher. Now, when we talk about fraudsters, we talk about the people. And some of these guys really tell themselves. They let you know what they're out to do is to deceive women, but they do it in like the classic villain story where it's like, they're the ones who are right. They're the ones who are fighting the good fight. Mm -hmm. He's the founder and president of the Human Coalition. And this is from a speech in 2017 that he made. And this is a little bit of his bio. I was a music major. I went to a small liberal arts school in Western Pennsylvania called Westminster College. I studied classical piano. And when I got out of school, I recognized that musical talent and musical employment were not necessarily related. So I had to go find a job. I ended up at Christian Radio. I worked for Word FM in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Christian Radio was a phenomenal start to my career, but discovered that the pay in Christian Radio was about the same as unemployment. So at some point, I had to go get a real job and uh, ended up being recruited into the securities world. So my background is primarily in stocks and bonds and in the investment world. And it's, so, uh, wait, you know, it's nice. Yeah. Certified financial planner. It's, it's, it's funny how, like, it's just like everything he just said is like a symptom of what's wrong with Americans' relationship to the marketplace, that nothing was a real job until it paid money. It's like working on Christian radio is a real job. Being a musician is a real job. Uh, this idea that only things that have to do directly with finance are real are is like the mentality that's actually like ruining our education system. It's, it's like financial is that's what he took away from his beautiful liberal arts education is that not it doesn't prepare you for real jobs. And it's like, this is how we get a non-critical thinking group of people in control of everything and a s economic system that seeks to extract capital from every aspect of human existence. But that's that's it. Sorry. I was just going to say he sounds like if Kermit wanted to be a human. <laughs> <laughs> Which is not as eloquent as what Justin was saying. But yeah. 
<laughs> I think it's arguably more philosophical than what Justin said. Exactly. This guy, like, yeah, this guy, he's like, he learned all the great classics of the world on the piano, all of this great human heritage. And he's like, yeah, it wasn't. It's not easy being green. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, but I, I, listen, I grew up in Pittsburgh. First of all, never once heard of Ward FM. Maybe because I'm not Christian or my parents yeah. only listen to like conservative talk radio. Hate listen, by the way. Hate listen to Rush Limbaugh. So funny. Uh, but I, I just, it feels weird that this man was in Pittsburgh for so long. Westminster College, right in the area. I mean, I know that school. I mean, he lived in Pittsburgh for a long time. We know Pittsburgh, yeah. you know? So it was, it's weird that he was in the city, like, at the same time as me. And I don't know. It just feels like I just was near this like burgeoning little villain man who was just like, I hate music. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And it's also like, it's amazing how when, I, uh, especially this is especially true with right wing audiences, how when once you're on their side, you can just say anything to them. He just completely insults Christianity. He's just like, I was doing yeah. Christian radio and that's not real. <laughs> It's like if yeah. a liberal had said that to that same audience, they'd have strung him up, you know, and it's just like it's amazing to me. Vote for Herschel Walker, everybody. Yeah. No. <laughs> Justin. Justin's too excited about that, about that plug for Herschel. All right. Let's let's go into how he got into this work then. 2006, through a radical story, which I don't have time to share, uh, I did. I was recruited to go run Coral Ridge Ministries in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. I was there for two years and then was the COO of a marketing agency in the Dallas area before uh, coming on to Human Coalition full-time. In 2007, while at Coral Ridge in Fort Lauderdale, we began to test the idea of using high-end internet marketing to reach women who were going online looking for abortion providers to see if we could intervene while they were searching for abortion providers and give them the option to connect with a local pro-life pregnancy center instead. In 2007, this was rather infant application of that technology, and so we formed relationships with a few pregnancy centers in 2007 and basically did what's called geotargeting search engine marketing, which is identifying searchers for certain terms within about a 10-mile, 15-mile radius of the pregnancy center. And the idea was, could we, in, in essence, become a lead generation service for pregnancy centers, of which there's roughly 2,500 across the country? Guys, that is, do I mean, this is this is it. This is laying out deception mm -hmm. with everyone, but it's guised under good digital marketing. The same thing that gets me to buy a T-shirt. From the time I enter the bathroom to the time I put my ass on the toilet seat <laughs> on Instagram and tap my thumb three times and I've already got it shipping to me before the first turn hits the water. <laughs> it's the same thing this man is doing to get women to, to like deflect them or divert them away from seeking an abortion. It is crazy is is this not a lie is this not tell me it's not deception tell me i'm wrong please no it's a straight up deception yeah it's minority report it's so funny how if you put minority report with a bunch of marketing buzzword terms people accept it it's like what i'm doing is using your personal data and your location to actually locate deceptive marketing models closest to you in proximity uh you know and it's like everyone's like yay that sounds good because he said synergy 
Yeah. <laughs> it's like, this is all technology that can be weaponized against you, depending on who else is, you know, what somebody's agenda is, right? Yeah. And these platforms are just enabling people like Brian Fisher to be able to do this. And here's the awful part, is because progressives have been asleep at the wheel, and I don't mean the people that are on the front lines. I mean, like, mass progressives, like people like us that have just fucking woken up to these crisis pregnancy centers, right? People on the religious right have known about this stuff. They are well, you know, informed when it comes because they're passionate about it, right? They started this years ago. Let's let's just see the success that he's had. Let's just uh, play a little bit more. During that time, we learned a lot. One, there was an enormous universe of people searching for abortion procurement terms online. 1.85 million times a month. Somebody searches for an abortion procurement term, meaning abortion clinic DC, abortion clinic Dallas, RU486, abortion with a coat hanger. All sorts of terms like that are being searched 1.85 million times a month. So that to us was an enormous mission field. And we began to test different ways of using both paid and unpaid uh, marketing to reach those women and invite them to come into a pregnancy center. And the test worked. That's 10 years ago now. But the test did show that we could, in fact, get our message in front of those women who are abortion seekers and bring them into a system of care. In 2000. Mm, in other words, a so you be stalking and lying to bitches? We use the internet to find a particularly vulnerable population <laughs> that's experiencing a life crisis. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and a, a population, it's not even uh, search terms like women's reproductive rights or uh, women's health or health clinics or medical clinics. No, no. It is actually women seeking an abortion and by any means necessary, apparently, as well. We got to get them in there and shame them and then maybe they'll have a baby. Who knows? Mm. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> and then that baby is on his own because all the state funding <laughs> went to crisis pregnancy centers. That's right. Oh, well, <laughs> figure it out. Yes, but if you want to join the church, we'll give you diapers. Yeah. Anyways, so in 2017, when this speech was made, there was like 115 employees in seven states. Again, they were using geotargeting, search engine optimization for both paid and unpaid. Paid SEO, we know, is when you search something on Google and you see those sponsored links up top. But imagine, normally, when you search for, like, chair, Amazon links pop up at the top. And you're like, oh, good, this makes sense. This connects with what I'm trying to do. I would like to buy a chair. Amazon is a place where I could buy a chair, right? It's not like <laughs> where you, like, type in chair and then it's just like... Mmm, would you like these knives instead? Come on, we've got chairs, but we've got knives to sell you as well. <laughs> and then unpaid, and we'll get to the Max interview again, where she breaks down some of the unpaid ways and organic ways they're able to game search engine optimization. Here's the other thing that you were talking about earlier, Justin, about the vulnerable class of, of people. They divide up women and people into an audience segment like any good advertiser does. They target people that are, quote, planning to abort or abortion determined. That is the category that they're focused on. And what's interesting here is that 80 percent of the women that enter a CPC actually intend to carry their abortion to term. 
And they are actually looking for support like maternity or infant goods. That's data from the CPC industry in 2014 that could have changed in the last eight years. But what we're seeing is that there's a disproportionate effort being placed on the abortion-seeking audience instead of those that actually need help, right? So women that are going to a CPC far and large are going to carry their baby to term because they're going to get the free care or the free supplies or something like that. Again, and generally, we're talking about low-income women as well because we know these CPCs operate as nonprofits, right? For-profit clinics offer health care services because they're paid by insurance companies. So that means they offer abortion services. They offer all kinds of different services. It's really these nonprofits that are placed in poor neighborhoods that are disproportionately impacting vulnerable people that are seeking an abortion. I, I just, and they've been doing this since 2007. I mean, the head start they've had. I mean, to, uh, the iPhone, the iPhone came out in 2007, guys. And they've been doing, they've been gaming SEO. I graduated since. high school in 2007. God damn it, I'm out of here. <laughs> 2007? <laughs> and it's also it's also a mirror of like uh, the inequities of the global economy, right? Where like uh, like neoliberalism guts all the funding for social services. And in the vacuum, you have all of these like NGOs that come in with all their agendas. So this is how you get abstinence only coming into places where abstinence was never a cultural value of that particular society. This is where you get uh, homophobia all of a sudden becoming like a chief campaign issue in developing countries because churches that, you know, you know, it's like, it's all the same, it's all the same like infrastructure that allows this to happen. If you get rid, if you get rid of the state, right, people with all kinds of weird agendas can come in and push those social agendas on people. Telling people in Africa to not use condoms, <laughs> like that's that, that, that happens. Kind of yeah, because condoms promote uh, promiscuity, right? You should actually have abstinence only. You know, so going into a place that, you know that might have higher rates of HIV AIDS, churches telling people not to use condoms. That's the kind of what? That's the, that's, what? that's the kind of stuff. Yeah, because you should be doing abstinence, right? Justin, this is for another episode. My brain cannot handle all of this information. This is a global. This is a global thing, guys. Uh, <laughs> churches have been given like huge responsibilities uh, uh, over like sectors of people's lives, and we're seeing the results now. Like this is why you're seeing like religious fundamentalism. Well, speaking of results. Brian Fisher put these tests, he talked about these tests. We tested this place, we tested that, all these different ways that they're testing. And they also tested in Pittsburgh. Oh, God, the fact that it's my hometown is really crushing. Let's listen to him talk about his test in Pittsburgh. Most of the tests that we run do fail. We accept failure as part of the progress at reaching more effectively the abortion-determined woman. And so when we get something that wins, it typically wins big, and that's why you see the quantum leap. About 95% of all the calls we receive in our call center are abortion-determined calls. So the marketing has been finely tuned over the years to reach that specific, very vulnerable population. In Pittsburgh, which is a smaller market, we have increased market penetration from less than 3% to an average of 36%. So a 1,300 percent increase in market penetration 
to the abortion-determined population in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania over the last several years because of this regular process of testing and optimizing marketing leads. So previously, 3 in 100 abortion-determined women were calling pregnancy centers in Pittsburgh. Today it's 2 in 5. If that doesn't get you excited, you got to check your pulse. I gotta check oh, my pulse. You begin to see the vision of stealing so much business from the abortion industry that you can begin to close. Stealing business. Stealing business. Yeah, all of it. That's right. The big business of abortions, baby. What, what are we doing? We're gonna stop big abortion. You know, big abortion is out there. <laughs> big A. <laughs> the abortion lobby. The big oh, stealing business. Absolutely right. We can't say it better than that. Than other. We we didn't say that. Okay. He said that. Brian Fisher, Human Coalition, proud Pittsburgh Steeler fan, I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure we. if I was next to him at a Steeler game when I was younger, I would have high-fived him when Cordell Stewart threw a touchdown pass. Yeah. You know, he just, you know, th- this is the type of shit that fucking really drives me up the this wall. This is diabolical. Super diabolical. It's, yeah, it's it's so funny that none of it is framed in the. He's like the human coalition, but none of this is humanist language. It it, it only sees. Uh, it's yeah, it's it's totally about business and about power. Uh, it's very funny. I am cattle, straight and, up. And frankly, the fact that that he's treated it like a capitalist system and a commodity. That's how it's worked. That's how he's been so successful. Yeah. And digital marketing isn't just all they use. From the moment you walk into a crisis pregnancy center, it's a scam, right? Forget about the, the branding and the, and the fonts outside of the placement of the center itself. When you walk in, the first thing they offer you, besides the paperwork, is the free ultrasound. And it's not just the ultrasounds that have been a huge movement across crisis pregnancy centers. It's atmospherics, this weird thing called atmospherics. So it's not just, you know, uh, the, again, the branding outside. It's not just the ultrasound or the paperwork and stuff. They're thinking about the ambiance of what happens when a person enters a crisis pregnancy center. Here's Brian Fisher again telling us all about how they get really deep into this. Uh, Women make decisions even on something as serious as an abortion based on lots of different factors. And we began to evaluate uh, her primary mood when she made that abortion decision. (laughs) A woman... Murderous, yes. <laughs> straight up, straight up murder. That's, that's, what, what, that's what these women are thinking. We got to get them out of that murder, murder mindset. Murder, 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 murder. On their mind, straight up. That's what I'm doing when I'm going to an abortion center because I go weekly because apparently it's a hot commodity. <laughs> primary emotional state when she is abortion determined hmm. is anxiety. Anxiety. If an abortion-determined woman changes her mind and chooses life, her primary emotion is calm. Okay. Yeah. Gonna have to I'll disagree. If I am, <laughs> if I am abortion-determined, which he says, and I'm there with anxiety because I'm trying to get rid of it, wouldn't I then be calm and cool and collected once you told me it's all good? Mm-hmm. Yes, I would say so. Yeah. And now, if I'm going to have a baby, I doubt that if I'm carrying something for nine months, I'm going to be calm, cool, and collected. You're bugging. Yeah. This man has never spoken to a woman in his life. Yeah. Are you kidding me? When my wife told me she was pregnant, I was like happy for like 0.5 seconds. And then the sheer stress and anxiety of what we were about to do washed over me. I don't know. But this isn't about me. Here we go. Let's move on. Calm. 
So that suggested to us that there are a number of things outside of the verbal words that are spoken or the ultrasound that can create a more calming environment in which to serve the abortion-determined woman. And so we adapted an existing model. We didn't invent this. We did adapt it called the happiness scale. Oh, my God. The happiness scale was uh, proposed by a study several years ago relating to the mood of a woman who is pregnant, and we simply applied it to the abortion-determined population. The happiness scale suggests that um, a woman who is abortion-determined is typically going to be a one. She is very (laughs) not happy. If she is super happy about her pregnancy, she is a five. So on a scale of one to five, where is she on that happiness scale? Okay, Ariel, where were you on your on your happiness scale? I'm I'm at a zero or a one. (laughs) (laughs) Because I'm no longer trying to have it. That's why I'm here at the center. Can someone help me, please? (laughs) Ooh, but Ariel, I hear you. If we could try to get you Two or three. What do you think? Would you like a chocolate can, bar? Would that yeah, get you two like, or three? That's basically what he's saying. Like, <laughs> what can we do to make it fancy? Full for, I have a pack of diapers right here. Yeah. That's basically <laughs> going to save you for the rest of your days. You want? Can I get you up to a two? You were at a zero when you walked in. How can we get? Like, how are you, how are you coercing people into changing their minds to get them to a two? <laughs> Ariel, if you I have such a, a beautiful smile. That unborn child inside of you right now has the same smile. It's it smiling with all its little teeth. Sir, it is a pack of cells. <laughs> yeah. And I'm at a zero. Yeah. And so is it. Instead of thinking about a pack of cells, here's a pack of Skittles. <laughs> oh, well, now I'm at a three. It could be a gay baby. <laughs> did I mention, did okay, I mention that I went to a college for piano at Westminster College in uh, Pennsylvania? <laughs> uh, maybe to get you to a five, I'll play a little smooth Herbie Hancock on the keys. <laughs> this waiting room. All right, here we go. 60% of human coalition clients are a one when they walk in the door which is an extraordinarily difficult client. That means that if we are unable to move her from a one to anything else, we have a good shot at losing the child. And the, the woman just dies. However, if we are able to help her move just one step up the food chain from a one to a two, her chances of choosing life go up 77%. I don't know. Uh, Meaning if she- I think if you're all surrounding me telling me that I have to uh, change my mind, I will probably lie to you yeah. and say two or three yeah. to get yeah. you off my back so I can go to a real center. That's just me, though. Who am I? I? I'm just a client. I'm just a number, baby. That's it. Want- yeah, but you were abortion determined. Yeah. I, I have now changed my mind because you've scared me. There and I go. want we're to here. leave. Here's a here's a pack. Uh, I want to <laughs> meet like the woman that's a five, but still abortion determined. She's like, I'm here, baby. I'm happy. Going to get this baby sucked out. Go get this baby sucked out. I'm not ready. Woo! I'm not ready. Woo! Just goes straight from the club to the abortion clinic and keeps the same energy. <laughs> Keep that same energy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> ...of mine as long as we continue to support her and provide her with tangible care. Well, this opened up an entirely different set of um, variables that we hadn't considered before. And one of the ones that we've been testing is a study called atmospherics. Atmospherics is the study of nonverbal influences on our decision making. So this happens to me every time I walk into Best Buy. I walk into Best Buy... Clean lighting, blue and yellow colors, all my favorite movies and products laid out. I inevitably spend more money in Best Buy than what I had originally intended. I have been victimized by atmospherics, okay? 
Do any of you relate to that? I relate. I Every time I go to McDonald's, to it's so yellow and red, and it makes me want to just get McFlurries and burgers and fries. And that's how I feel about abortion. Yeah. I just always want yeah. it. Like every week, whenever I see the colors, I'm like, gimme, gimme, gimme. Yeah. I, he got me. I would say it's fair to compare an abortion clinic to a place where you buy a Chuck Norris DVD box set. Um. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Brian. Certain stores, certain services, uh, Apple products have that effect on me and they inevitably get me to spend money because of the atmospherics or the brand. Apple hates you, Brian. Apple computer, Apple Inc. hates you. So we began to study how is it possible to create a very specifically designed calming environment in our women's care clinics that can help move a client from anxiety to calm. And so we invented yeah, well, yeah, baby blues, the, pink, exactly. yellows, just like yeah. the like the look of a nursery, you know. Best Buy. So we're telling a yeah. it looks like Best Buy. Telling a, <laughs> telling a pregnant person that they're about to like live a life of sin really is going to reduce their anxiety. Yeah, that'll do it. Sure. The Geek Squad. We now joke. <laughs> two is the Blue Room test. The Blue Room test, we took two counseling rooms in our clinic in Dallas, which were equal, and they're very nicely decorated, very nicely furnished, and we left one alone, and the other one we adapted. We painted the walls blue, which is a common color. We changed the furniture. We got rid of the crummy fluorescent lighting. Uh, we changed throw pillows, and we set up the room in a very specific way based on other medical studies that suggested a very calming environment. We ran the same counselors, the same nurses, the same... Uh, trained staff with the same counseling practices in both rooms and then studied the life decision rate of those women and to see whether or not the blue room had a material test on her life decision and the blue room returned a 36 percent this lift piece of shit in life decision wasn't rate. this a cat williams bit now again most of our <laughs> like he was like get throw pillows bitches love throw pillows wasn't that <laughs> that's like when i got my bitches in the abortion clinic i get them a throat pillow because that's what a real nigga does <laughs> sweating candles because don't like candles. throat pillows but bitches in abortion clinics do <laughs> I need their doctors to show up in green velvet the same yeah. way Cat Williams. <laughs> Actually, I would feel more comfortable listening to them if, if, that's, if that's what they if, had going on. If Cat Williams was in there, I would be in there yeah. a lot more often. That's for sure. Dumb. Test fail. But this one was a booyah. In our booyah. world, if we get a 1% lift, he said it's like booyah. a party. If you get a 36% lift, it's like a... It's like a big party. It's like booyah. What 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 oh. year is this clip from? Nineteen ninety eight. Twenty seventeen. Talk to the hand. Because yeah. the face ain't listening. He's all that in oh. a bag of chips. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit! Hey guys, Sean Hayes here. Jason Bateman, Will Arnett, and I had a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to sit down with not one, not two, but three presidents of the United States on our recent episode of Smartless. That's because President Biden, a returning guest, brought two of his favorite pals, former presidents Bill Clinton and Barack Obama, all joined us for unforgettable conversation. It's a historic episode of Smartless as we pry into the minds of these remarkable leaders. We'll cover everything from their time in office, America's responsibilities in the world, and their personal passions in an episode full of some candid stories, insightful perspectives, and a few surprises along the way. Whether you're a political junkie or just curious about the inner workings of the Oval Office, this episode 
episode is a must-listen. Don't miss out on this incredible opportunity to hear from three of the most influential figures in recent American history. Follow Smartless on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also listen to Smartless ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Tell me about what your fight has looked like. I know you're a community organizer. What what has that looked like over the last 10 years and, and what have your goals been and what are they now? Yeah, that's a great question. A lot of our, as a movement, our goals have really shifted since Roe fell. There was definitely this whole moment of where do we go from here? How do people get involved? And I have more than ever been pushing people like, regardless of the abortion laws in your state, you still have crisis pregnancy centers. It's time to get a bit more vocal. Let's protest in front of them. There's always been kind of a thing holding us back of like actions and activism the past 10 years. I've shied away from some of the protesting in front of fake clinics actions because in my city, they're all right next to abortion clinics. So Mm. it all just looks like one giant mob. But now it's kind of like, oh, the gloves are off. We don't have to worry about that as much anymore. But for a lot of the past few years, a lot of the goal of the activism has been inform people in your community. Leave reviews online so when people are Googling how to get care, they see those reviews there's a warning, like we never tell people like lie and pretend you went here because also so many people have gone to crisis pregnancy centers. That's not even necessary, but just being straightforward. This place is designed to make you believe they provide abortions and they do not. This place will make you feel ashamed. This place will lie to you. Um, So those online reviews and like upvoting when other people have left reviews about their experiences, their stories, as well as trying to get more people to talk about this. Like you said, a a lot of people don't know these places exist and how prevalent they are, that there are several thousand all across the country. So that awareness is a pretty immediate goal, but now even more so with no one knowing if abortion is legal in their state or where to go, it's even more pressing that anti-abortion centers aren't filling that vacuum of people assuming that's the only place to go because that's the only place still open. How or why don't we know? I feel like I'm a pretty engaged person. I read Twitter every day. I haven't seen this stuff come <laughs> The barbs up. are not talking about crisis pregnancy centers <laughs> at all. No, but like how is this and, – and, you know, in the research for the show, we found out that like um, John Oliver and Samantha B have done it. But that was like a 22-minute comedy show where they're doing bits and stuff like that. Uh, they're not really – you know, I, why isn't there an expose on this stuff? Why is it that our little podcast is the first one that I think is like really doing a whole breakdown of this stuff? I wonder that question a whole lot. And it's funny, it comes in waves. It feels like once every few years, there's this fervor by journalists who have learned these places exist. And it's like for about a week straight, we're inundated with like, can you tell me why these places exist? We, And it's like all in the news and then it just fades and people forget. Like I think a lot of college students and young people are very aware they exist because they're the ones who are being targeted and advertised to constantly on their campus. But it's like once you're no longer being targeted, you yourself even kind of forget that they're still there, still lurking. I also think people are unwilling to believe there is something this large and this (laughs) nefarious out there. Because sometimes I also feel like when I explain it to people, they look at me like, 
okay, sure, there's 4,000 buildings around the country lying to people and taking your social security number. Sure, like it sounds so over the top. There's almost an unwillingness to believe something this malicious exists. Mm-hmm. One thing that you that what you just said there is sums up every single fraudster that we've covered. Everyone that we've covered, like the victims or the people around, like surely that man is not running a Ponzi scheme. He has a vacuum cleaner business. It's like every single one is some form of what you just said. Um, so, can you kind of walk us through maybe specifically what are the current projects that you have? boots on the ground with right now? Yeah, absolutely. So those online reviews, online awareness is a huge part of the Exposed Fake Clinic's work. We also do monthly virtual action hours from people all over the country to get together and learn about it. So we have a place to break it down. Here's what these places are. Here's why it's evil. Here's why our silly little online actions may feel a little bit boring, but are actually really helpful because just saying, don't go to this place, this is what happens when you do, each time that can save somebody from going through the experience that I went through or that people have had much worse experiences with. Uh, As well as like right now, Google and Yelp kind of can't make up their mind on if people can leave reviews for anti-abortion centers. So it's like if somebody else has left a review, go through and upvote it, Uh, as well as some search engine optimization uh, sort of teaching. We got to teach the computers to stop harming people. So like search for abortion. Break this down. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Break this down for us here. Let's start with the search engine optimization. And then I want to talk about Google and Yelp. So SEO, uh, tell me what what is being done um, uh, for these abortion clinics and what is being done uh, from these CPCs that are trying to basically steal women from these things? Yeah. So a huge problem is that when people try to search for where to obtain abortion in their area, the fake clinics pop up a lot of times higher than real abortion clinics. Part of that is due to, of course, paying for ads, paying for that to happen and Google allowing it. Uh, But part of that is just search engine optimization. They have designed their websites to pop up. So what we'll encourage people to do is search for something that a potential abortion patient might search for, like abortion pills online, abortion Tennessee. And when you see something pop up that is very clearly faith-based, a fake clinic, anything designed to deceive people, click on that website, wait for it to fully load, immediately click back to the search results. That first step tells Google, I went to the site, I didn't find what I was looking for, I had to go back to the results. Then click on anything that is legitimate, like Planned Parenthood, abortion clinics, abortion funds, anything that you know from your own experience is a legit helpful site. Click on that, stay on that page for a few minutes, like get up, go get a snack, whatever, open up a different tab. The main thing is leave that tab on that page for several minutes, then close the whole tab because you don't wanna go back to the search results. You want to teach search engines that I went to this page and I did find what I was looking for and I don't need to keep searching. So we've done that to help um, organizations like Plan C Pills and now they pop up a lot higher and a fake clinic that had been uh, promoting that they have an explainer on Plan C Pills now shows up a whole lot lower. So it's it feels kind of silly, a little boring, but over time it makes a huge difference. Mm-hmm. So are you also telling me that the other side is doing basically the same thing when it comes to these organic results? Yeah, I. it's so funny. People think of the anti-abortion movement as like 
little old folks who don't know what they're doing, but the opposition, oh. they've got their tech yeah. shit together. Like, I think about how they have targeted um, ads based on your geographic location so that if you are in an abortion clinic and you're scrolling on your phone, you'll get ads being like, don't murder your baby. Wow. Leave now. Here's where you can go. Like, they are, there are ways they have been ahead of the curve when using technology to get people to do what they want. So all any actions that we do, unfortunately, a lot of the time are a reaction, are copying their tactics, which is where we also encourage people in person, protest in front of them, warn people, take all of their tactics, like stop us pretending like we're going to be mild and stay in our corners is not helping so, us. And then tell me about the uh, the you were mentioning the Google reviews and the Yelp reviews. Tell me what's what's going on with that. That seems like a whole other thing. And I feel like I maybe heard that Yelp is better than Google, which is strange that mm -hmm. we live in this world right now. They're in a fun competition to see who can be as confusing, but pretend they're being helpful as possible. Uh, so organizations like Exposed Fake Clinics have been putting pressure on Google and Yelp of like, hey, could you stop label labeling these places as if they're actual medical centers with actual medical doctors? Could you have a disclaimer? Could you have something? So Yelp created a whole new category of like faith-based center mm. to warn people, which is a great first step, but still doesn't quite get at like, here's what medical care you will or will not receive. Here's what they have medical staff. Because part of the tricky area is due to a Supreme Court case a few years ago, we can't really tell fake clinics what they can or can't say due to the First Amendment. We can't make them say that they are not a doctor um, or that they're anti-abortion. Um, so that's where Yelp and Google are trying to find ways to at least like label what they are instead of ask the fake clinics to say what they are. Um, but And so Yelp... Oh, I, yeah. But isn't that false advertising? Aren't, aren't you trying to advertise, you know, the fake clinics, aren't they advertising as like, we can help you. So why would Google not, like, why is there no way that you can make them say what exactly they are? According to the Supreme Court, the First Amendment. <laughs> it but, was, but it's still, but to me, that is still false advertising, right? I mean, the First Amendment, yeah. I can't say that I run a chicken shack out of my house when I don't, I don't yeah. do that at all. A lot of people were pretty surprised by that Supreme Court decision um, for those very reasons. But part of it is because they aren't, most of them are not medical providers. So they don't have to follow medical guidelines. They're just individual businesses or they pretend they're individual small businesses, but they're all run by these like large national chains like Heartbeat International and CareNet. So they're harder also to keep track of and tell what to do because they're constantly going away and popping back up. New ones are opening. They close. They move. They change their name. It's why running our database of all of them in the country is exhausting. They're very slippery. So that's where Yelp found their compromise. Of first, they took down reviews and then they re-added them. But with this category, and you could tell they're like having trouble finding all of them and it's still like not enough. Google didn't go that far of like a special category. They instead have done this thing that says like this place may not provide abortions, which is helpful. Um, also because of all of the abortion clinics that can't offer abortions now that it's illegal in that state, 
to give people a heads up of like abortion is now illegal. You can't go here. But the problem with these places isn't just that they don't actually provide abortion. That's a problem. But it's also, let's say you are not sure how you feel about abortion. You are a person of faith. You are highly religious and you want to go to a place to get religious based counseling on what to do about your pregnancy you still shouldn't be lied to. You should still get information. You should still get information that doesn't claim that abortion causes depression or infertility or breast cancer, any of these things that have been proven untrue. You still shouldn't have something incredibly dangerous, like abortion pill reversal, forced down your throat that could cause you to bleed out and put you in incredible danger. So the problem isn't, again, just that they don't provide abortion. It's that they actively lie. And again, they're not medical providers. They don't have to follow HIPAA. They store all of your personal information, like your social security number. They share it with each other across the country. Their chatbots, their phone line, all of that also stores your information. So when we're seeing more and more bounty hunter type laws, like in Texas, suddenly they've got a whole database of people they could prosecute or investigate if they are not pregnant when seeking information about pregnancy. Would it it help? It strikes me that the part of the problem is that you have faith-based people that are always on the right of this issue. Can we start uh, faith-based pro-choice clinics where there's actual science, but also prayer that the science works? Would that be helpful in sort of with the search engine stuff? Middle ground. It'd be fascinating if you could find funding for that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I don't think the Catholic Church is going to back that. They got a lot of money. No, we could start a church. Yeah, Sean, uh, or, Sean King. Did. No, the unit. Well, no, the, the, I think the unit. I'm, I'm a Unitarian. Does the Unitarians would get behind that? And Unitarians are always in rich neighborhoods too. I'll, I'll, there you go. Sure. Yeah, I'll take. I'll take. You it. should look into this. Look into it. into it. Yeah, this is. Yeah, just, there even are like faith-based programs that do give people accurate information about their pregnancy and about abortion, like Exhale Pro Voice and the All Options Talk Line. Like these, these services exist, but they don't get. Okay, that's it for today. Next week, we're going to dive into the Supreme Court case that made all of this possible. We're also going to talk about some of the other things that happen inside these crisis pregnancy centers, how they're funded, and just generally be depressed. I want to thank Max Carwile from the Abortion Access Front. I want to thank our producer, Carrie Budge, Ariel Lieti, our guest co-host for this series. This episode was also edited by Nodalab. Big thanks to them. Big thanks to our legal researcher, Demetrios Patelis, Grant Gordon on the musical intro. This has been a production of Zero Cool Media and The Last Podcast Network. And we'll see you next time. Hey guys, Sean Hayes here. Jason Bateman, Will Arnett, and I had a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to sit down with not one, not two, but three presidents of the United States on our recent episode of Smartless. That's because President Biden, a returning guest, brought two of his favorite pals, former presidents Bill Clinton and Barack Obama, all joined us for unforgettable conversation. It's a historic episode of Smartless as we pry into the minds of these remarkable leaders. We'll cover everything from their time in office, America's responsibilities in the world, and their personal passions in an episode full of some candid stories, insightful perspectives, and a few surprises along the way. Whether you're a political junkie or just curious about the inner workings of the Oval Office, this episode is a must listen. Don't miss out on this incredible opportunity to hear from three of the most influential figures in recent American history. Follow Smartless on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also listen to Smartless ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts.